This is Radio Play Colab, a creative collaboration between Spokane Public Radio and Spokane Playwrights Laboratory. For this inaugural broadcast, we present the short one-act play, Brothers Before. It was directed by Juan A. Moss and stars Matt Slater and Trey Terry as two estranged brothers, David and Len, who make an attempt to reconcile. The only lingering question is, what's in the box? Don't forget to stay tuned after the play for an interview with the playwright, Tristan Canfield. And now, Brothers Before. This is your apartment, the Casa David. It's kind of a hole, but there's beer. What's in the box? The box is for later. First, to dad. To dad. Happy birthday, you old drunk. Happy birthday, Dad. You old drunk. Do you have to call him that? Well, he was. But do you have to call him that? You said you didn't want me to call him Just a... don't call him names. It's not as if he can hear me, Len. You don't know. Hey, down there, Dad. What are you doing? Seeing if he can hear me. You catching any of this over the brimstone and the wailing? What's that? There's a lake of fire crackling in your ear? You're too busy being tortured by demons to care? And you didn't listen to anyone even when you were alive? You're a jerk. It's not as if he could deny it anyway. He wasn't all bad. You're just defending him because he liked you more. No, he didn't. He liked your mom more. He liked everybody's mom more. Oh! <laughs> Look, I agree with you. He was a... A... Bass. A bad word. But he was our dad, and it's his birthday, and we should show him some respect. He would have been 62 today. I know. To dad. Here. To dad? Is that dad? Are his ashes... Do you have dad's ashes in some cruddy box? What? Come on, Davey. Couldn't you have gotten him a nice urn at least? It doesn't even latch properly. It's fine. It's not fine. It's disrespectful. Why did you ever think of putting him in there? It was November. I had his ashes. I had this box. I didn't want to go out in the snow for an urn, okay? Oh, for crying out loud. What? You're a real jerk sometimes, you know? I am a jerk. Worse than a jerk. You might say I'm a real... No. Basically a Stop bass, it. Just like the old man. You aren't like him. I don't know. Remember Felicity? I don't want to remember Felicity. I spent years trying specifically to not remember Felicity. That was a whole painful episode of my life that I would rather forget. Thank you. You really loved her. You knew I did. Yeah. You knew I loved her and you... You took her for yourself. Hey, I didn't take anything that wasn't coming of its own accord. 
She was too old for you anyway. She was perfect. She was a 33-year-old divorcee with two kids. So? And you were 18. Barely. That doesn't mean anything. It means something. It says something anyway. It says we loved each other. Until she came skipping over to me. Knock it off. Sorry. She kept the letters you wrote her, you know? She did? She saved them all in a box under our bed. I felt bad about keeping them from you, but I didn't want to give them back after. Why are you telling me this? I don't know. I just felt like I should come clean. I want things to be right between us, Lynn. Here. Wait a second. I thought you said that box had Dad's ashes. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. When? When did I say they were Dad's ashes? I didn't. You said that it was snowing and you didn't want to go out in the cold for an urn. That's true. Uh, but then I remembered that I'm a grown adult, so I pulled up my big boy pants and I went out and bought an urn. So, that's not Dad in there? No. You're sure? Let me think. Hmm. Nope. Not Dad. You bought him an urn. A nice one, even. That's good. I'm glad you did that, Davey. Forget it. But Felicity's letters? I'm sorry I kept them from you. So they're in the box. Hey, you loved her too. It would have been losing the last piece of her you had. I understand. Ha, <laughs> no. No? Are you kidding me? I was so angry. It's one thing to leave a guy for his brother, but to leave him for his father? To steal your son's girlfriend? That was pretty... F not nice. Sure. I couldn't stand the sight of either of them. I burned the letters in the driveway. You burned them? Yeah. I thought they were in the box. You think a lot of things are in that box. You burned the letters I wrote Felicity? And the replies. She wrote me back? Does it matter? She didn't send them. It matters to me. Okay. Then yeah, she wrote you back. And you burned them. Every single syllable. Everything that two-timing, two-bit. Sorry. She was a real piece of work, you know. Yeah, you know. If I could have burned everything she ever touched, I would have done it. So what's in the box? Wouldn't you like to know? I'm curious. Hey, don't open that. Ow! It's not yours. Why can't I open it? Because I said so. Show me what's in the box, David. No. Show me what's in the freaking box. Oh, for the love of talk like a real man, Leonard. Real men can say freaking if they want to. Drop an F-bomb and I'll show you what's in the box. No. Say it and I'll tell you what Felicity wrote. No. You know you want to know. Say it and I'll tell you. I won't. Ugh. What, what the? You hit me. Ow! Is your skull made of rocks? Yeah. Pile driver! Uh, no! Stop! I'm sorry! Yeah, you will be! Stop that! Uh, 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 uncle! Uncle! Give up? I said uncle! So... There. So there? Really? When did you learn to fight like that? I do a lot of cardio. Cardio? 
I had some feelings to work through over the past few years. I'll say. Pass me another beer. A cold one. They're all room temperature. Well, that one next to the wall should be cooler than the rest. It is not. Well, pass it to me anyway. Ow, ow, ooh, ooh. That's better. Don't you have ice? Freezer's broken. Warm beer isn't going to stop your eye from swelling shut. Are you an eye expert now, too? <laughs> Whatever. Sorry about hitting you so hard. I deserved it. Yeah. You want a cookie? Are you serious? It's just cookies in that box? Sugar cookies. Why did you fight me over a box of sugar cookies? I didn't fight you over cookies. We just fought! But it wasn't over the cookies. Then why did you fight me? I figured you deserved that much at least. Hey. I thought if I let you smack me around a bit... Let me? And boy, was that a bad idea. You want to go again and not hold back? No, thank you. That's what I thought. I missed you. I've been here. No, you haven't. You haven't been here, and I've missed you. Yeah. Well. And it's okay if you don't feel the same. I don't. I want to make things right between us. You know a good way to start? Sugar cookies and fist fights? Or maybe don't steal any more of my girlfriends. I don't know. I might have a better shot with them now that Dad's gone. Not funny. <laughs> Sorry. Take a cookie. I bake them myself. <coughs> that is the worst thing I have ever had in my mouth. Don't give me a setup like that. Don't bake. Ever. I'm serious. Just eat your peace offering. Happy birthday, Dad. Happy birthday, you old bass. Nope. Not gonna do it. You've been listening to a Radio Play collab production of Brothers Before. Brothers Before was written by Tristan Canfield. Juan A. Moss directed this production. Matt Slater played David, and Trey Terry played Len. Case Larson was responsible for sound design. Script coordination was done by David Bullis and Scott Dowdy on behalf of Spokane Playwrights Laboratory. Tanya Ballman wrote the Radio Play collab theme tune, and Now Now Space is our sponsor. I'm EJ Ionelli, and I've been your host and producer on behalf of Spokane Public Radio. And now, here's an interview with Brothers Before playwright Tristan Canfield. I started by asking her whether playwriting was a full-time gig. Playwriting, surprisingly, does not pay all of the bills. <laughs> um, typically, uh, I am a housing case manager. I work in homeless services, um, helping people transition from being without a home to having somewhere to live. And out of curiosity, how long had you been doing that? I've been working in the nonprofit social service world since 2017. I took my first caseload in 2020, mm -hmm. um, 
right during the pandemic. So it was <laughs> an opportune an time. time. Yeah. And so when did you first start writing plays? I wrote my first play in 2014, and then it was performed in 2015. Um, I wrote it on a whim, and uh, at that point had kind of forgotten that one-act plays were a thing that sometimes got performed. So I wrote this thing and went, well, that was fun. I don't know what anyone would ever do with this, but I did that. And then found a submission opportunity at Civic Theater while looking for something else and went, oh, perfect. So I sent it in and um, that was performed in the uh, 2015 Playwrights Forum Festival and um, won the Audience Choice Award that year. So that was really fun. And what was the title of that play? The Window. The Window. And can you give us a, a plot overview? Uh, yes. The Window is a story of a cat and a fish who just wax philosophical about life uh, for about 10 minutes. <laughs> um, and so that was your, your first foray into playwriting. But it you was. had been involved in the theatrical community prior to that, no? Yes. Um, I, I grew up doing the civic theater day camps when Gene Hardy was directing those. I was a box and hat player in high school. Um, and I've performed um, for most of the local theaters and uh, I actually I went to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts and studied acting from 2008 to 2010. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was very, very much I'm going to be an actress. And then playwriting just sort of snuck up and hit me. Yeah. And, and how did that that sneaking process take place? I mean, what prompted the move from acting to playwriting? Or do you just kind of almost see that as a natural progression? So I, I mean, I've always kind of done both the acting and the writing. I just hadn't written for actors mm -hmm. before. And I think a lot of the groundwork was laid as an actor and and as a, a student reading plays you know, with a critical eye and just absorbing the the storytelling process. And then I got a got a fish and went, well, this guy's weird and <laughs> just had ideas about what was going on in his head and wrote them down and had a dialogue going. And and it just sort of it was like it had been percolating for a while and it just started coming out that, oh, yeah, playwriting that that works well with all of my brain. <laughs> and so there was the window, which won the Audience Choice Award at the Playwrights Forum. And then uh, where did you go from there? Uh, from there, I, I've written a few other one-act plays. Um, I'm really not a very prolific playwright. <laughs> and all um, one-acts? Mostly one-acts. I, I wrote uh, a few more one-acts that went on to you know either be performed or, um, or read aloud or... or uh, what have you. And then just, was it, would have been last year, I think, um, Scott Doty, a friend of, who originated the role of fish in the window. Ah, interesting. Um, okay. Yes. Uh, called me up and said, hey, my friend David and I are starting the Spokane Playwrights Laboratory. And do you have a, a full length that you would like to workshop? And I said, no. And, and the play was an aviary for birds of sadness. It was. And so that initial communication did ultimately lead to a full length, didn't it? It did. Um, Scott went on to say, would you like to write one? And I went, <laughs> uh. 
<laughs> and then he texted me every day while I wrote a play and made sure that it happened. <laughs> and and yeah, so that was my first full length. And uh, that has been picked up and is going to be performed at Stage Left as part of their 2023 season. So um, all sorts of cool, cool playwriting things just seem to fall into my lap. I don't really pursue this. It just happens for me, which is delightful. And again, another plot overview for this time for an aviary for Birds of Sadness. What is that play about? Yeah, that that play is it's a found family story. It's about four four friends who are very close um and one of them is going through a, a depressive cycle. Mm-hmm. And it's the story of what that looks like, how that group of friends bands together to support one of their own while she does go through this really dark time in her own mind and how she comes out of that and what um, where they go from there. And given that the window was based on your experience with a pet fish, was an aviary also kind of based on personal experience or someone you knew or something that had happened to you? It is very much based on personal experience. Um, I struggle with depression and um, all sorts of fun mental health wonkiness. Um, and I have a, a just a fantastic group of friends who have been so supportive for me for so many years. And every character in an aviary is based on someone that I that I know who has been an important part of of my support system and who has done just really important things in my life. You were talking about the support structure that you had, um, both through the struggles that maybe informed Aviary, but also in the writing of the play. And how was that experience with Spokane Playwrights Laboratory? What support did you get from them? What resources did you get from them that maybe made Aviary a much richer piece or a piece that you felt more proud of? I so much support. <laughs> they were just really wonderful uh, from from the the beginning where Scott was texting me while I wrote it to to help me um to help me do that to help me write the play. Um another part of my my brain is ADHD where I will start a project and not finish it at all. And having just just knowing that someone was paying attention and and waiting for that finished product was very helpful for me to even complete the writing process. And then I just had so many fantastic conversations with um, my experience in that play was mainly with Scott because he was the director and and he was the part of the duo that I had known previously. So I didn't work as closely with David on that project. Um, So with, with Scott, he directed the play and we just sit down and have these just wonderful conversations just sort of waxing philosophical about um, storytelling and plot development and structure and all of the intricacies of what goes into good writing mm-hmm. um, and that was that was very helpful and it, and it all came from this place of you know hey everything that you've done is good let's talk about what's you know what what we love, what we love more, what we want to see more of, and it was that same sort of vein of support that you need from from mental health supports as well. People who just see you as good and worthy and want to be part of your growth, and that's really what I got from Spokane Playwrights Laboratory too. Was just this excitement of about what I'd already done and and this excitement to see where it could go next. And it really helped to bring me on board with, 
yeah, I am excited about this project. I do want to make this this play even better and and keep going and and do more. And it was it was particularly cool once we got into the rehearsal process and I could just kind of sit back and be like this fly on the wall that saw the rehearsal process and went, okay, this is how the actors are interpreting what I've written. Here's how, you know, Scott's talking to his actors about what I, you know, what is, is that how I want the rehearsal process to go for this play? Are they getting what, you know, out of the script, what I think I've put into the script? And then I could go back and make changes, you know, if, if I was wanting it to go a little bit of a different direction and the next day they'd come in and implement those changes and we got to really craft this and and sculpt this play together and it was just a very cool experience. Yeah, and and that support structure is what led to them being a very natural partner for this radio play collab series that we're doing. And so when Spokane Public Radio said, hey, let's do some radio plays, we immediately, that was the the top resource was Spokane Playwrights Laboratory. And that brings us to Brothers Before and this other opportunity that kind of opened up to you. Uh, Can you talk about Brothers Before and what sort of life it had before it became a radio play? Yeah. Brothers Before started as a play that I wrote for a 24-hour play festival at Stage Left. I was given a prop to work with and That prop being a box? That prop being a box. (laughs) And I got two actors, and we had about probably 10 minutes before I started writing where they we just got to kind of stand together and go, okay, you you really like doing this kind of thing you you know you'd like to have a fist fight on stage at some point you'd like and just got kind of ideas of what they wanted to do and um and I got that idea from Matthew Weaver who has done many of those 24-hour festivals and that was my first so I went you know Matthew what what should I do and he, (laughs) he said oh this is what I like to do I like to hear from my actors what they want to perform and um get all of these ideas and all of this input and then meld it all together as as best I can and and that was fantastic advice and I had such a great time just going home and just sitting down and writing a play that incorporated that prop and all of the all of the things that my actors really wanted to do and then I sent it into the theater and the next day they spent all day rehearsing it and then performed it that night and um from there it just kind of sat yeah i was going to ask you know did did it have a life beyond that or it was just no. kind of in the in the proverbial desk drawer waiting to be exhumed Yes, it was It was just waiting to become a radio play. <laughs> um, and yeah. so Spokane Playwrights Laboratory approached you and mm-hmm. said, hey, we have this new partnership with Spokane Public Radio. We're looking for radio plays. And you said, I'm assuming, hey, I have this one actor. Would it be suitable? Is that how that went? Yes, yeah, something along those lines. Okay. Um, and I had kind of missed that it was, it was to be transformed into a radio play. I was thinking this was a, like a the reading of the stage play. Mm-hmm. Um, so I suggested that one and then much later went back and reread it and went, oh, that's not suitable for radio at all. Yeah, and, <laughs> and, and that's one thing that I really want to tease out is that what elements did you have to change in order to adapt it to radio? <laughs> I had to take out a lot of profanity. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I I took out a lot of profanity and then because there wasn't, there's no visual element um, and let me just revisit the profanity. Do you feel as though that 
profoundly impacted the dynamic between the brothers? Or when you removed that, did you say, oh, this play still works well without it? Or did you feel that that was an integral element that we should have maybe believed? No, I I think it works really well without it. Um, I think, you know, if, if the play was to be produced in a in an arena where where profanity was not going to be an issue, I would probably keep it in. Mm-hmm. But I think that the way we were able to take it out really worked well for the the radio performance. And I think that we were able to keep the dynamic between the brothers and um, the elements that it brought into the story are still intact. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah and yet, and talk about this visual element, because there is a visual element that, you know, really had to be transmogrified and, and accentuated. Yes, all of the all of the business with the box. All of a sudden you can't see a box. So yes, that was that was a fun creative challenge for me was to to work, you know, with with the Spokane Public Radio team and and the director and the you know, the whole creative. Yeah, the sound design um, team as well. Yeah. Yes, and and figure out how how to translate what had been stage directions just you know he reaches for the box um into something that that plays well on radio and doesn't just read as um exposition mm-hmm. so uh, so that was that was really fun to to find ways of working that into the dialogue or into the sound design um and trying to find a way of making it clear this is what's happening with the box without just telling everyone this is what's happening with the box and did the process of audio adaptation or audio only adaptation, did that get you thinking about the play differently? Is there anything that you thought, oh, you know, this element of their dynamic comes across a bit differently? Or did it change your perception of the play that you had written? I'm not sure if it changed like the, the dynamic between the brothers, the relationship there or the the overall message or theme of the play for me but it definitely got me thinking about writing differently mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and excited about writing for a new medium and thinking about you know what what would I put into radio plays if I was to write a play that was just for radio or you know was specifically for radio how would I what what would I want to bring into that what would I want to do there and um that was a fun fun concept to play with and I imagine that it will be a fun thing to do at some point. Yeah and you know is your mind working on any ideas along those lines? Have you given some thought to a play that just explores the auditory? I haven't had that brilliant idea yet of <laughs> what what should just but that tends to be my my writing style is I tend to start writing without the idea. So maybe I just need to sit down and write a radio play and see what comes out. And so aside from this, this staging of Brothers Before and then Aviary, which is going to be coming up, what else do you have in the works? Are those the two big things at the moment? Those are the two big things at the moment. Um, I've been pretty focused on my day job for a while, um, and I'm kind of looking forward to having some more time and creative energy to put into playwriting and and just writing in general uh, coming up here soon. Because, yeah, those are those are my projects right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tristan, thank you so much for being here. And, and above all, thank you for contributing Brothers Before. We really appreciate, you know, having that material to be able to work with. Well, thank you so much for working with it and <laughs> for, uh, for taking it on. Great. Yeah, and we'll, uh, we'll meet again, I'm sure, um, when it comes time to discuss Aviary for Birds of Sadness. I look forward to it. ¶¶ 
That was an interview with Spokane playwright Tristan Canfield. This has been Radio Play Collab, a creative collaboration between Spokane Public Radio and Spokane Playwrights Laboratory. You can listen to this broadcast again at spokanepublicradio.org. For Spokane Public Radio, I'm E.J. Ionelli.